What's up, everybody? This is Presto. Corporal Nossage. You are listening to episode 88 of the Nintendads podcast. How you doing, Corporal? 88, man. 88? Jeez, it's been a long time. In 2024. Oh, look, we're live. My gosh. Check us out. You do if you're if you're listening to the podcast, uh, wherever you listen to podcasts, if you're watching on Facebook, I would highly, highly encourage you to follow us on Twitch. We are actively trying to grow our Twitch following. Um, follow us on TikTok too. I would go live there if we could go live there, right? Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. But the real question is, would you go to the store and buy a new game for seventy dollars willingly? That is the question we are out to answer on a <laughs> on tonight's episode. We've been we've been hinting at this episode for a long time. Far, far too long. It's been on our it's been in our notes and on our minds and in our hearts uh, for we've had this put together for at least six months. Yeah. And unfortunately, it is a timeless I guess I don't know. Maybe in a couple of years it won't be. We'll be like, remember when games were cheap? But yeah, there's been many times, specifically over like the past year, um, where things have come out for seventy dollars that maybe shouldn't shouldn't have been seventy dollars, or things came out for sixty dollars, and you're like, if there was ever a seventy dollar game, this would be it. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna talk about it. But first, as always, Corporal, what are you drinking? Ooh, tonight I am drinking a Dr. Pepper cherry mixed with a chocolate pretzel whiskey. That is a lot of flavors. It is. That's a lot of flavors. Um, okay, that sounds tasty. Um, I tasty. I'm not drinking one right at this second. Um but I might grab one at some point during this episode. Who is it? Jessica Ripley has liked the stream. Welcome in. Whoa, welcome in. Your name is now also permanently on the internet forever because this will be a podcast episode after we stream it. Um, I'm not drinking one right now, but I've been drinking these super delicious sour beers um, from Bonesaw Brewing. Okay. They're big. They come in big cans. They're sour. I got them as a gift over the holidays and it was have we done we haven't done an episode since the new year right no i don't think we have happy new year happy new year, happy new year. Happy new year. Uh, yeah it's it's been a, a hot minute since we've actually done an episode well, it's to be expected around the holidays yeah i mean yeah um what we... are you playing what are you playing these days Ooh, so that's that's a good question. Actually, just before this episode, I was downstairs with Lady Sage and with My Name is Jeff, and we were doing another new playthrough of Skyrim. Oh, man. This character's name is Strawberry. If you remember from last time, the other character's name was Blueberry. And the Blueberry playthrough, we were going to start the game and walk the complete outer perimeter of the map and slowly just keep walking our way around the perimeter until we meet met the center. 
whatever tasks we picked up and whatever missions we collected, we did what we could while we walked the perimeter. Now we're playing a new playthrough, um, and Strawberry's mission kill is everyone to, is to get as fast as we can to the new DLC content that we haven't played. Oh, I have never played a moment of Skyrim. Ugh. Never. That's that's I a just shame. Haven't. I don't know. I will at some point. Um, I have been playing. If you've if you've been tuning into the streams, um, we returned. Oh, I've also been playing Minecraft a lot. I'll. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. I'll... Oh, there's something I haven't heard in a while. Yeah. Um, oh, that's music to my ears. Like ASMR for alcoholics. Um, I have been. We returned to world. We finally have gone back to Monster Hunter World, um, and I've been enjoying it. But in playing world, for whatever reason, I was like, oh, I want to try this in Rise. I, I was Sword and Shield. I learned Sword and Shield in World, and then I thought I'm going to try this out in Rise because Rise has a lot of new moves and new mechanics and stuff. And I just got so wrapped up in how fun fun Rise is that I decided it was finally time for me to learn the most difficult weapon, the most complex weapon of them all, the Charge Blade. And I watched videos, and I went into the training area, and I learned Charge Blade, and it is so fun. And now I'm just playing Rise all over again. I even changed the stream this week. I was like, we're returning to Rise because I learned the Charge Blade and it's it's way <laughs> too fun in uh, in Rise to not That's play. Um, I've also been playing a little Halo Infinite Firefight with Nick uh, here and there. Yes. With you occasionally. I've been playing a Firefight, actually. Yeah. Yeah? Have you been playing with Nick Yeti or are you just on when he's I've, not on? No, I've, I've at least played one session with him. Uh, in fact, he texted me just a little bit. Are we playing games tonight? And I said, yeah, sure. And he was like, good, because I'm at the gym and I'm getting ready to get pumped. So Every time I talk to him about playing games, like on the weekend, he calls me or I call him. And uh, I'm like, hey, are we and he's like, I'm at the gym. That's the, his only two planes of existence are the gym <laughs> and in Halo. I mean, he also has dad life, right? He does. And every time I talk to him, he's either getting on the games or he's at the gym. So you must speak to him primarily later in the day. The same, yeah, probably the exact same. I talk to him most of the time earlier in the day, like afternoon time, and he's either taking care of of little one or he's doing housing construction. Mm. So, yeah, that's the that's the Nintendo's life, though, you know. Yeah. Um, okay. So the reason we are all here today is to discuss and pass judgment upon the blasphemy or the necessary, you know, evil that is a $70 price tag on games coming out today. But before before we get into a heated discussion, which I don't know how much we agree or disagree because we've always just talked about it being an episode and something we need to discuss, but we never made our views clear. So this will be interesting. But I think we have to start with a reminder, a back story on where this whole $70 game thing came from. Um, and I'm sure there's more elements to it, but Sony started it and it's all their fault. Sony, okay. Sony, PlayStation 5, and I'm joking, it's not all their fault. They're just the ones who had 
a, a semi-plausible reason. Um, and if Nick Yeti were here, I'm sure he would he would go more into detail about this because he was the one that explained it to me first. So Sony started $70 games because not started them, but made them in like in the mainstream. Because when PlayStation 5 came out, the the architecture of how their PlayStation 5 software, hardware, interface, science stuff works is like very complex and very deep. And it allows for huge games with like no loading. Um, you have the extra peripheral stuff with the PlayStation 5 controller with like the pressure and the, the uh, haptic feedback of the triggers. So Sony said, because we have all this depth and all this extra stuff, it's going to take way more time for people to develop and fully utilize what we're putting out there with the PlayStation 5. Um, so it's going to cost more to develop it. That's going to translate to a $70 price tag. And I think for the most part, that's not true because even Nick Yeti, who loves his PlayStation 5, has said like only a handful of times, oh, this game is a proper PlayStation 5 game that utilizes the PlayStation 5 in the way that warrants a $70 price tag on a game. And I think the one specifically that I remember him mentioning it was Returnal. Um, so, yeah. So I, one thing that I like to point out in this discussion is that in 1998, mm. the, I, I pull up 1998 because I could go earlier, but 98 is like a good, uh, date for the epitome of video games becoming more and more popular to the point that they're almost mainstream within its community, Right. You can talk about socially whether or not games are, are popular or not. But 1998 is where computer-based games and console games start becoming very popular. And in 1998, the average cost of a video game is $34.99. So $35. Really? Bucks. I thought it was going to be higher than that. Because people always by, make the... No, go ahead. You're probably going to say... The, by the, by the, the 2020, right? 2020, the average cost of games were 55 Now... Hmm. For us in the U.S., um, that is a a difficult number to rectify with our memory because games were either thirty nine dollars or fifty nine dollars. There really was no in between. Yeah, but that's the average cost. Probably because there's so many so many lower priced indie games. Yes, yes, and and that's why I specify. That's why I specify this is an average cost, not a true cost. Yeah, because if you're talking about the most games sold, probably the $60 price point would would be more heavily weighted. But if you're talking about, you know, Call of Duty, which sold millions of copies, that counts as one game being at $60. And, you know, Streets of Rage 4 is over there at $20. So you find the, you know, it can, they both count. Um, I... I like to constantly go back and reference Halo because Halo came out at the very beginning of the Xbox series, the the, the infancy of, of the Microsoft's Xbox console systems, which was at the peak of PlayStation's infancy. So that kind of gives you a good parameter of where we were at that point. Um, and at the time when Halo 1 came out, Halo Combat Evolved, it was $49. <laughs> 
Bernie says that they should be free for all persons who have a B in their name. <laughs> I agree. Here, here. I don't. I don't know. I don't agree with that. We're, we're going to have to change one of your letters. B's and B's. <laughs> uh, so with Sony, though, it it results in things that don't make any sense. This is like what happens when you like blindly follow rules without understanding why they're there. Baldur's Gate 3 is a $60 game. It That was the price that it came out for on PC in August, a month ahead of when it came out for the PlayStation 5. And it was 60 on PC and it was 70 on PlayStation 5. Why? Because PlayStation 5. Um, and that doesn't that doesn't make sense. I understand their original reasoning. If you're making a game like Returnal made for PlayStation 5. To utilize all the things that are only able to be utilized on PlayStation 5. Boulder's Gate 3 was developed on PC. It came out on PC first. It was then brought to PlayStation 5 or it was worked on in tandem with PlayStation 5 version. But it's the same game. For all intents and purposes with the early access, you can consider uh, Boulder's Gate 3 a PC game primarily, and then it got ported to console. So there's no reason why Boulder's Gate 3 should be $70 on PlayStation 5. It's interesting that this is where you start the conversation, because I wouldn't have started here. Well, um, just because I'm starting with PlayStation just because it was PlayStation that started it. And I'm just making an example of like, this is why they said the $70 price tag was warranted. And here's why that's not true. And then the ripple effect of that is everybody's like your, so that your statement of why it's not true is a statement that didn't happen until three or four years later in the future. The, the the start of the PlayStation and the justification of the PlayStation price point happened long before Boulder's Gate came out. Yes. This goes to the very heart of my argument against what I think you're you're setting yourself up for. Well, I'm just saying that it started with that, with a reason that seemed semi-plausible. And now in today's age, they've flicked the domino and we're looking at the last part of the domino effect in that... $70 is becoming so ubiquitous that everything okay. PlayStation puts out is just default to 70. I was really surprised that Boulder's Gate 3 wasn't a $70, a $70 game dollar. on all platforms because that's, yep. I mean, it deserves to be, which we'll also talk about what that means, deserving or not deserving. <clears throat> so the, the, the $70 price point was given to us with a justification and initially the gaming community was fractured or split on this opinion, but most people were on the camp of that's the wrong thing to do. Yes. I was probably one of the only people in our friend group who was on, wait a minute now, hold on. There's probably a good reason for this $70 price point. While their reasoning may be BS, there is a value here that we should consider. And are you talking about the value being all the bells and whistles that developers can spend more time putting into specifically PlayStation 5 games? Or are you talking about something else? 
I, no, I'm not talking about the bells and whistles. I'm talking about as an employee of a company and work-life balance and the rate of inflation and the cost earned by the in, the revenue of the game to help offset the payment needed for employees of the amount of effort and time they placed into some of these games. Let's face it, what it used to take to build a game and how much time it takes to build that same game now are not the same. That's true. And that, yes. that amount of time has to, uh, from a P&L standpoint, from a business standpoint, that time trickles down to a balance sheet that has to be rectified somewhere. Now, I will argue against my own point by saying it is unanimously known that the video game industry is probably one of the most profitable industries alongside Hollywood, if not exceeding Hollywood. Oh, it, defi it definitely exceeds Hollywood. It's been but, gaming has exceeded movies for a while as a as a form of media. But I I, I still stand to the cost of milk in 1998 versus the cost of milk today is not the same. And if we expect that to go up, we expect a lot of other things to go up. Not to mention as an individual who earns a paycheck, I want my income to go up along with that. Okay. So that's the only way, that's the only way I rectify this cost is because I think about the individual behind the game. And the reason why I do that is because I'm sorry, I'll go back to Halo, but Bungie was a sweatshop when they made Halo. And that was before they were adopted full into Microsoft. So I am all about supporting the developers to a point. Okay. So your, your argument is that, well, it's not an argument yet, but it will be. Your <laughs> argument is that $70 price tag is justifiable because it will improve the the time and the resources and this the proper amount of financial support for developers to make developers lives better along with hopefully better technology better uh uh graphics Papa better <laughs> yes yes uh, the full papa john effect <laughs> Without the, uh, the, the, the political statements afterwards. I agree with you. Oh, there's a change. Comma. <laughs> in, Christopher Clayton, welcome in. In theory, I would be okay with the price point if they could release a product as close to as perfect they can get without public feedback, but they don't. Almost everything needs mass patches reported repeatedly the first three months. You're, wet, so you're, this, two, you're two steps ahead of me, Chris. You're two steps This ahead is exactly of me. where I know my argument falls apart. So I agree with you that a $70 price tag to benefit the lives and work-life balance and not this crazy cram stuff um, and to improve the quality of games, if that $10 extra dollars translated to that, Absolutely, I will pay $70 every time. In theory, but but games have been $70 long enough 
to where we know that that's not true. Um, yeah. Let me let me scroll down here because we jump we're jumping around a bit, but that's okay. Um, so I guess cyber. Well, this is this is to, to partially to Chris's point is that we live in the age not only of seventy dollar games, but overlapping with that of the world we live in is games that are being released unfinished. How many games in the last two years have been released in a state that they should not have been? I want to I want to point at Cyberpunk. Cyberpunk was not released as a seventy dollar game, I don't think. Um, but Cyberpunk was the first like big oh shit moment in gaming that we realized that the, the devs realized and the public realized that we are not okay getting half-baked games because Cyberpunk was very half-baked at launch. I disagree with you. I would say Assassin's Creed Unity was probably earlier and one of the bigger... Uh, I Maybe didn't create as big of a media flare as Cyberpunk did, but the atrocities it was, it that was a lead came up out of because that game. I think Unity came out first. It was really the big one is No Man's Sky. But No yes. Man's Sky was the first big, like high profile instance that people really pointed at. And I think yeah. Cyberpunk was the last one before this whole upheaval happened where people are just like, What the heck? Like you guys are charging us $70 for games. Yeah, well, no, this is before the $70 is really that ubiquitous, but you're releasing these full-price games, these AAA titles, and none of them are done. Um, more more recent examples that we could use is Diablo 4, which is... It, that one's not as bad as some of the other ones that I've mentioned that I'm going to mention, but Diablo 4 was hyped up and then promptly deflated when people got to the end game. And that's a big part of why people play Diablo. Um, I think the most recent one is probably Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3 with the campaign that was shorter than, uh, than um, what's his name? The voice actor for Kratos' speech from the Game Awards last year as he made the joke about at this year's Game Awards. Um, but yeah... Uh, these games being sold at $70 more recently are like trash at launch or non-functional at launch. So this is where I know that my argument falls apart because we have for generations had dealt with games who had bugs, bugs in them. And you can make the argument that older games were not as complex. And while they still had bugs, their bugs weren't as serious to the game because the game itself wasn't as complex. And therefore, the more complex the game is, the more complex the bugs are, and the problems become exponentially over time. And because of that, development should take longer to resolve these problems. The issue is, is that publishers are trying to put pressure on developers to push the games out in the same, if not faster or slightly longer timelines in order to capture revenue quicker. Yes, and I agree with that, I, that publishers I, are the pressure that results in these games being unfinished in a lot of cases. Correct. And I think 
some of the issue comes down to what we call what will the market bear? The publishers mm-hmm. are trying to determine how fast they can gain revenue and at what rate they can gain revenue. And if the market will bear it, meaning the idiots who will keep buying it, uh, if the market will bear it, then they are going to continue to do what is going to be financially beneficial to them, whether or not it is the best choice for the consumer. And I don't understand how the market still bears it. Because that that whole, oh, well, games are more complex and there's publisher pressure and all that stuff, like, it can be done. Knock, knock, who's there? It's from software. Who's with them? Elden Ring. A game that was basically bug-free at launch. Yeah. No, not that. Was it delayed? It, it, it had several developing delays, but on purpose. Like, they knew they needed it. They pushed out development. They gave them a long window of time. I think they had, like, maybe one or two delays. I, I can't remember the exact amount, but there were delays in development. But but Elden Ring coming out. Beautiful, yeah. whole-ass game. Awesome. Boulder's Gate 3, obviously Boulder's Gate 3 does get patches and things get smoothed over. I think that's a little bit of an anomaly just because of the nature of how Boulder's Gate 3 works. And I don't understand it. Mm. Yeah, Elden but, Ring game development started in 20, 2017. Okay. So, but... Again, the problem is the seventy nine no, price that's... tags is not resulting in. Uh, I'd also have to say, consider the amount of gameplay in today's game versus the cost, versus the same games <clears throat> in nineteen ninety eight. I mean, that's true. Yeah, that's true. But it's. I mean, there's Call of Duty, Modern Warfare three, single player campaign, like. There's a lot of games in 1998 that took longer to beat than that. And I would much, much rather have a delayed game than a broken game. 100%. Yes. Um, so uh, to follow our skeleton here for our show notes, uh, just to kind of bring us back on track, um, the the industry was shocked with Sony's announcement, and it created a clear communication amongst the other big game developers about what to do with this. Cause this was clearly something that had been coming and had been talked about from the other publishers and the other developers for a while. Now there have been rumors about this $70 price increase for some time. I mean, we talk about at what point was, was the games six fifty nine ninety nine? It had been sitting there for a little while. It's it's a matter of time that there was going to be an increase. Price of milk went up, cost of living went up, games were going to go up. It was a matter of when. So Sony was just the first one to step the foot on the on the map, but this was going to happen. But how everyone I else responded guess. to it kind of shifted what the landscape would be. Well, here's a, here's a question that kind of plays into this that I just thought of that's not in the notes. So... Uh, I don't know, probably, let's say, five or six years ago, the majority, and maybe I need to go farther back, the majority of uh, video games, if you went to go buy a video game, what did you do? You went to GameStop, 
you went to Best Buy, you went to Target, Walmart, and you got your game, right? You got your physical game. But now, most of the time, what do you do? You turn on your PlayStation, you turn on your Nintendo, your Xbox, Steam. You go and in, in PlayStation and Nintendo's case, you buy it directly from them. So that's no retailer. Mm. And you're buying a digital copy. That's no packaging. That's no shipping. Done and done. So, yes, the games, the cost of games increase, like with everything else, like inflation and everything. But the amount of money that they are making more because of the nature of how people buy games easily offsets, I think, the ability or the need to, to raise prices by $10 a game. It's true that they are releasing more units digitally than physically. Those A good portion of those units going to box stores that still also needed to make a profit could be argued where some of this cost was going. But because there's more units being released digitally, that argument then becomes null and void. So then the argument comes into why does the packaging and the marketing change, but the cost still remains the same or goes up? I still argue that that goes back to the work-life balance income for the employees. But and I would agree with you in theory. In theory. Uh I go back to what the market would bear. Some bean counter somewhere up the line realized that they were still going to make more, giving their employees maybe a 10% raise and increasing it to $10 on the other end because they were saving money on the packaging and the shipping because they were doing things digitally. Then why are you we know, seeing record layoffs this year in the video game industry? There's a lot that goes on. You can buy this. a damn parachute with the money you get from from charging people seventy dollars for games. Like it, if you're if if games are, I would think generally more profitable this year than in recent years, um, because there's just been bangers coming out left and right, and they're more they're more popular, and more of them are seventy dollars. So I think the nail in the coffin to the argument that $70 games benefit the developers is out the window because in in a year that was absolutely stacked with amazing games and most of them sold at $70, that's within the same amount of time that we're seeing record layoffs in the video gaming industry. So... If if seventy dollars was contributing to that, so many people wouldn't be getting let go. I think. So, and so I, there's a lot there's of more. There's more nuance to that. At that, there's the economy. There's inflation. Yeah. There's all these other elements that are involved. But there's the healthcare industry. There, there's the background on you know you can make the argument that it's political based off of. Democratic taxes, and, yeah. yeah. There's a lot of different things that go. But that. you still, you still see developers coming out being like, "We couldn't finish the game. We were in cram mode for the last. We've worked eighty hour weeks for the past year. Like, I don't, I don't. In theory, I would love for it to be true, but in practice, I just don't. I don't think it is. Same Unless with taxes. You're... 
I mean, I, I pay my taxes because so, I don't want to go to jail, but it's like, in theory, if we all pay a little bit, the government should be able to not have crater-sized holes on the highway. Um, but I live in New <laughs> Jersey, so I'm not even going to tell you how that goes. Um, but anyway, yeah, I would love to think that it does improve developer pressure, um, but it don't. So when, when this first announced uh, through Sony, the immediate conversation from Nintendo was absolute silent. And the conversation from Microsoft was, we are considering a path. <laughs> they said, <laughs> they said there, we are considering a path in this same direction, but not yet. They, they, and a lot of people were like, yeah, good job, Nintendo or uh, Microsoft for not, not jumping in. But we all knew that it was coming. Xbox and Microsoft's like, oh no, we're going to. We just have to change it in so many places that it's going to take a while. We weren't ready for <laughs> yeah. this. You got to give us a minute. Yeah. <clears throat> So, I, so let's I mean, talk about Nintendo because please. only really within the last year, Nintendo made any kind of acknowledgement or statement towards this. That's true. Yep. And that was Nintendo that. was the Nintendo was the last major console publisher developer to make a official statement about this seventy dollars price change and. I, for a long time, almost thought they weren't going to bring this I didn't up. think they were going to either. I didn't think they were going to do it within the Switch's life cycle. Yeah. I thought I thought the conversation was going to come on, on the next iteration of the console, um, which we'll talk about because that is a rumor. Um, yeah. Uh, so Nintendo said that Zelda Tears of the Kingdom, that, that long-awaited game was going to be their first $70 game. And people freaked out because they said, oh shit, N Nintendo games never go on sale as it is. You can never get them discounted or rarely. No. And now they're going to be, they're all going to be $70. To which Nintendo quickly came out and said, no, the base price of our games is not going to $70. Our games will be priced on a case by case basis. And... We talked about that when they mm -hmm. said that. And uh I think I made a joke on like, oh yes, they're gonna they're gonna say that the prices are gonna be on a case by case basis. And that case is if it's a first party Nintendo game, it's gonna be seventy dollars all the time, every time. And I was proved wrong because Mario Wonder, which was Equally as well, no, not equally as hyped up as Tears of the Kingdom, but still a, a front. You know, it's the first. It's a Mario game. It's, it's a the first two D Mario game in in like many many years. Yeah, it's um, it's a it first party. It's an initial initial IP. It's a first party, you know, title for them. It's their their mascot of the entire industry for or, or the entire company is that you know Mario. So you would have thought that they would have warranted that higher price. And I was surprised that Mario wasn't given a higher price, but they made an interesting comment or, or in a, they showed their hand in an essence when they make this statement that every game will be price, priced on a case by case basis. Now I'm going to re-engineer that because 
are you trying to tell me that there was more development time put into Tears of the Kingdom and therefore it warrants the $70 price tag? Are you then going to tell me that a $60 game wasn't given the same love, care, and respect that this other $70 game gave me? Are you then trying to tell me that while this game was $70 with all of these bells and whistles and all of these, you know, hyped up graphics and all this extra content that the other game is, we're just pumping that out. It, it, it is what it is. Or are you trying to say that this took a higher skill and that's why it's $70? This did not take the higher skill. So that's why it's $60. Where is your justification? I would like to know what their reasoning and scale is. I think it is, uh, I think it's depth. I think it's size in terms of how much content is in this game. Because if you look at Mario Wonder, right, you have a, mm -hmm. you have a set amount of levels. If you did a, a normal playthrough of Mario Wonder and a normal playthrough of Tears of the Kingdom, just not the extra levels in Mario not the crazy stuff that you can do in Tears of the Kingdom, but just a, a average playthrough, not a speed run, just your average player's experience who's just trying to get to the end of the story. Mario Wonder would be, I would think, significantly shorter than Tears of the Kingdom. Now look at the next layer. How much post-game side quest unlocks completionist content is there for Mario Wonder? That's probably another stack. And then look at that. What is what that is for Tears of the Kingdom? I think Tears of the Kingdom beats it like by a very large margin in both categories. And I think that's where $70 comes from. I think I that then... probably does translate to more development time and and more complex problems that were have to be solved. But I think at the end of the day, that is Nintendo's barometer. So. I love that being the case. And that's honestly what I took from it. And I think that's a beautiful sentiment coming from a company who I believe to be the most honest in their game dealings. Nintendo does some things that we all talk about, you know, sucks. And if you've been listening to us long enough, take a shot. Um, yeah, we used to have the segment. The, yeah, we used to have an entire segment in our show, What the Fuck Nintendo. Um uh, and there was some colorful bleeps and uh, oh man, I'm gonna I'm gonna repost that video. I'm gonna re I'm gonna find that video and repost it. That's worth that's worth reposting. It's episode three. If I if I'm not is mistaken. it? Oh. Yes. <laughs> um, but with that being said, I would like to then take that same question and apply it to Sony, apply it to Microsoft. What is your barometer for your price tag? Are you saying the game that you released last week at $60 is a not as much loved game as the game you released at $70 the week prior? I'll tell I want to know what your score is. I'll tell you what they would say. They would say, well, the Nintendo Switch is because it's on a, a weird, it's not on the same amount of years um, between generations. Cycles. Yeah. They would say, oh, well, Switch games are, that's running on hardware that's been out for six years. Uh, this is the Series S, this is the PS5, this is current gen. So anything on current gen needs to be $70, and then maybe something goes on sale for 60 or is a lesser 
you know, node developer that comes out for 60 or whatever. Um, it is worth mentioning, though, that the the publisher of the game can also dictate to Nintendo whether a game should be 60 or $70. Case in point, Mortal Kombat 1 was $70 oh. on all platforms, including the Switch, and it was... It looked like a PlayStation 2 game at launch. This so, game was not worth $17 on the Switch, let alone 70 I will make an argument that the amount of time developers put into this game was worth the $70 price tag. And then I will then argue that it's unfortunate that the Switch hardware was not able to process this game the way it should have been delivered and it had to be scaled down in order to even run on the Switch. I would then also argue that there is probably some coders and developers who had to do the scale down in order to make it work on the Switch, increasing development time for that single platform. I would then argue that it is not fair to release a half-baked product claiming it to be the same but development time was still spent. I think that the publisher of Mortal Kombat 1 said, look at how many copies of Mortal Kombat 11 we sold on the Switch. <laughs> That's going to be a shitload of money. Let's make a Switch version. And then they make the Switch version. It looks like dog shit. And they go, this looks like dog shit. Uh, we really shouldn't release this. There's no way they released it not knowing, like, they have time to do quality tests. There's no way they released it, and they're like, oops, we didn't know it was that bad. They absolutely knew it was that bad. Oh, yeah. But the amount of money that they would make from releasing something they had to know was half-baked because it was that bad, the money outweighed the integrity, and they are now abusing... There's $70 games that are justified. Returnal uses PlayStation 5s, whatever. Everyone else, people who are getting away with using a $70 price tag. This is an example, I think, of when now it's being abused. Because now ports are being made. And Mortal Kombat 11 was also pretty terrible on the Switch. Not as non-functionally bad as Mortal Kombat 1 was. But the the Switch, because it was older hardware, but it was extremely popular, was being abused by that publisher for Mortal Kombat 11 when they released it. They knew it was kind of crappy, but they released it at full price anyway. Um, and now it's being done, but with a $70 price tag, which I think is bananas. That that I mean, I guess the agreement that Nintendo has with publishers and determining the price is that's just how it is the publisher sets at the end um but yeah i just i just hated to see that being abused but i think that is another reason potentially against 70 dollar games being the status quo because it can be abused i think i think call of duty modern warfare 3 being released for 70 dollars is borderline abuse because it's nobody can say that that's 70 dollar game so, 
there's another argument that I, I like to kind of play with is a lot of these games are now being, and I'm going to use the word sold loosely, to be a part of subscription plans oh. or or uh, PlayStation Plus, Xbox Premium packages where you pay a monthly fee to have access to all of the games that are within the game library. And this subscription thing, I think, turns the entire conversation on top of its head. And I, I think that you have some opinions about this, so I, I want to hear your thoughts. So, I mean, in general, I think game subscriptions can be good. Like, I think I've, I've gotten Xbox Game Pass for PC multiple times for different games. Like, I wasn't sure if I was going to like Forza Motorsport, so I got a month of Game Pass. I played Forza, Forza Motorsport for a month. I loved it but not enough to buy it. So I got to try it for a, a seventh of the price that I would have paid for it. And I think that's super fair. I think the selection in Xbox Game Pass is really good. I can't speak to what Sony's is because they don't have a PlayStation. Um, but are you, I think, I think you're alluding to the reason that that $70 games on Game Pass could potentially use that as an excuse to why they have to charge $70 because they're losing sales to their game being on a, a streaming service or a game pass service. I, my argument is, has a duality to it. Uh, the first side of this coin is they are losing the developers Evening, T.S. Villa. Welcome in, Tom. Uh, Villa, what's up? They are losing uh, sales because of these subscription services. But they are deciding to put their game on said subscription service. Sure. Or they're assuming they do make some amount of money from their games being on a subscription service. I assume that they make the same amount not exactly monetarily, but the same concept amount of money as a artist would make on something like Spotify, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, there is an exchange there. I don't know if it's how many hours a game has played or how many downloads a game has, but there's, there's some sort of monetary exchange that happens because of that subscription service. And places like PlayStation and Xbox who have these subscription services they are obviously making their profit. Uh, but one thing that I will say, um, the other side of that is they aren't making the same amount, right? They, yeah. they are, they're not making a direct to the developer, a direct to the publisher sale. They're making a cut of the sale through PlayStation or Microsoft. There, there's, there's a loss there, right? Um, and it's not a one for one versus physical or digital direct, right? We've got the EA, the EA dashboard. You could buy games directly through the EA dashboard. It's not the same if I were able to play it for free on the Xbox Game Pass, right? Yeah. So, well, actually, uh, if you get the deluxe version of, or you get the ultimate version of Xbox Game Pass, 
it comes with the EA Play, and you do get all the EA games. Yes, yes. The, the, so, like, mm. I, I would argue that that in itself is a conversation. Whether or not the subscription services are are one of the reasons for the price increase being justified to some of the developers because they are losing in sales and their their market grab or their revenue intake is smaller. I think I think it will be someday, but I don't think like the primary way most people get their games is they buy the games. Yes, there are a lot of people using Xbox Game Pass, but I think there's more people buying especially like triple a multi-platform games that are never going to be on game pass anyway. I think in the future, if you have something like a Netflix takeover that is just pumping out everything and it's very becomes commonplace, then maybe there's an argument to be made about pricing the ones that you own. Um, This is, I don't know how close this ties into the $7 conversation, but Ubisoft came out this week um one of their executives says gamers should get comfortable with not owning their games um because he thinks subscriptions are okay live service games are always great and never awful and that gamers should just get comfortable with not owning games themselves so this is where i have another argument Mm -hmm. to make because this also has a duality to it. I'll just co- say that I didn't really need a great reason to not buy Ubisoft games, but now I have a reason that I can point to to not buy Ubisoft <laughs> games. Continue. Games that are physical are probably more worth their $70 value. I agree. Along, along with the development time and the packaging and everything else. Games that are digital may not be worth the same $70 value, but they tout the development time and therefore they keep it. Now, an argument also could be made that there's server space to maintain these games. Cloud uh, uh, gaming is becoming very popular, so there's a cost that's there that needs to be accrued from a digital standpoint. So a lot of this comes into place where that $70 game may be worth it, on a digital sense because there's all this digital background and and uh other stuff in order to maintain that ability but ubisoft brings in a very unique conversation when then talking about subscription services and i go right back to sony because sony very recently was brought into the limelight about how they removed a whole bunch of content that was purchased by people that now no longer have access to that content. That's crazy. You bought TV shows and movies, and Sony lost the license for those TV shows and movies, and they're like, oops, sorry, you don't actually own it. You only owned the license to watch it and view it and see it, as long and as now, we had the license. And now we don't have that license anymore. I mean, they're gonna have to refund people if that hasn't if that hasn't been like a clear I, part of the news, they're gonna have to refund people or there's gonna be a massive lawsuit. I agree with you, and I don't know where this, this conversation went as of late, 
But this brings up a very interesting point. And I'm going to point my 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 uh, my finger here at, at Microsoft. For it is wrong this. on Sony's part, yeah. I'm going to point my finger at Microsoft <laughs> for a moment here. Microsoft has been, as well as Sony, but Microsoft has been gobbling up smaller companies to be under their fold, right? They are called Blizzard Activision, a small company, but yes. Sure. But they are gobbling these companies up so that they are under their fold. What happens, like with Bungie, when they decide to leave the... uh, the comfort of Microsoft's umbrella and all of a sudden now choose to spin off on their own. Does that mean that they are no longer a part of that umbrella and therefore no longer a part of the licensing deal? And therefore that content, that game that you paid for is not available for you. So you're saying digital games that you've bought, can they be revoked? And my argument to that point is the the what's happened with the movies and TV shows. I didn't buy the game. I don't physically hold it in my hand to say it's mine. That game is only provided to me as long as I have access mm. to what they deem as necessary. I want to take this conversation an even step further, though. You also only have access to that game while you choose to be a part of that ecosystem. So let's say Microsoft goes and does something that's horrendous as a company and you choose to walk away from doing business with Microsoft. You also chose to walk away from access to all of your games that you've played. Well, that's a choice that you make. Yeah, a choice that you make. But unlike you buying a piece of furniture you've lost that furniture right like the the game is no longer yours it's a different conversation but it still falls in the same vein but what if you take your game because you own a copy you are legally allowed to emulate it on a computer piracy brings in another conversation no i'm not no i said piracy i didn't say piracy did you guys hear any pirates i'm smooth as the sailor here I'm saying if you own a physical copy of a game and you have the software or the the hardware, whatever you need to create an ISO disk image and run that image on your computer, you own the physical copy of the game. And if you own the physical copy of the game, you own the license to play it. You don't have to play it on the original system that it was licensed to, you have the license to play it. You just need the means to play it. And I don't think the means in which you play it are part of the deal, which is why emulation is legal. So physically, you should be able to emulate it. Digitally, I don't know if you have a leg to stand on. Um, I, I, I go... This is a this is a very hot topic for a lot of people that are currently in this space trying to navigate this. And you and I here at the Nintendads are so far since removed of, of being a part of this hot water. But the idea of Nintendo's, you know, subscription service, online service, and now suddenly you had access to games that you no longer have access to 
because partnerships dissolved on the back end. But has that actually happened? Has there been a partnership ending? The Sony movie example, yes. But has that happened with games? From a game standpoint, not yet. But if it can happen with movies, it can happen with games. There's no difference, right? We're talking about entire TV shows. This is why I refuse, among many, many other reasons, which I've talked about before, that I don't like cloud gaming. And I don't like... Because there are Switch games... Um, I'm struggling to remember one of them, but there are switch games that you buy and you are buying the cloud version, not the digital version, not an actual, you know, three gigabyte game that gets installed digitally. And then you access those files and play it. You can buy cloud versions and that version can only be played through cloud computing. And as soon as the developer, publisher, whoever decides that not enough people are playing that game, not enough people have bought the game, this data center is too expensive to upkeep, they can pull the plug anytime they want and you have literally no recourse. Like, there's nothing. You bought a cloud version and that cloud has blown away out of your reach. Um, And I think the digital licensing stuff that you're talking about can also potentially happen, but cloud version just makes it like you just don't have locks on your door and that anybody can just come in and take your stuff if you've been listening to us long enough take a shot but there have been uh, a conversation that we had earlier in our career where we talked about physical versus digital and i was very much in the camp of digital because i chose the lazy path and not wanting to get up and change the disc you know what takes longer than having to get up and change the disc <laughs> go ahead uh downloading the game to wait, having to wait 17 and a half lifetimes on your swamp ass florida internet every time <laughs> we play something oh we're gonna play halo cool let's in let's have you install it for 12 years <laughs> yeah like you yeah. need to pre-install for games that are going to come out next year just to be able to play when the game comes out. Um, uh, yeah, but go digital. I, no, I, like, I, I like digital, but I like to be able to sell games when I'm done with them or let yes. people borrow games. I had son of a bitch. I just realized <laughs> I just realized Vernicky still had my copy of Metroid Dread. I was going to say I got <laughs> Metroid Dread, wasn't super into it, was going to sell it. Vernicky was like, hey, can I borrow it and play it? And I said, sure. And that was the last time I thought about it. <laughs> Until just now. Until just now. Uh, I'll, I, I might let him, I might say, hey, you can keep that game, but we actually have to play Monster Hunter. Because he's told me that he's going to play Monster Hunter. So anyway. I, I, the, the entire concept of whether or not $70 games is worth it. Hold on. The studio the studio's given me this. The studio's oh. giving me this to keep on under an hour. I don't know. Okay. No, we will. Yeah. No, we're fine. <laughs> okay. Don't worry about it. Relax. Sit down. All right. Sorry. Sit down. All right, executives. Um. So I think I think the the stance that I take, the conclusion, the wrap up, is that. I think games should be $70 when they are worth $70. I think Boulder's Gate 3 should have been a $70 game. 
not based on the platform, not based on Sony's marketing propaganda, certainly not based on the developers having a better life after they've been laid off in the thousands. Um, but because it's it's worth it. I think in a lot of cases, the quality of games improves. It jumps forward. Elden Ring and Boulder's Gate 3 are prime examples of that. And I think they being amazing and successful, I think that warrants a $70 price tag. The quality, you know, Tears of the Kingdom was not my cup of tea. And I'm not sure how super amazing it was in its in its totality. Of being worth $70, but if $70 game is better, I'll pay more for it. Like that's it. There were plenty. Oh, here's here's a here's a, a, a secondary point that I wrote down that I'm glad I did because I forgot. Um a lot of my favorite titles on the Switch are games that are not 70, games that are not 60, but games that are 40 and 20. Uh Hades, Risk of Rain 2. Uh, and Streets of Rage 4 are all, in my opinion, top-tier games. My most played, and I think some of the best games on the Switch, all of those, I think the most expensive one was $40. Like, if Hades... If Hades sells for half the cost of a $70 game, you need, you need twice as good as Hades, and I don't think one $70 game that I've ever played has been twice as good as Hades. I will say that some of the indie developers really know how to bring the punch and make it worthwhile. Yeah. Side quest. What game or games that you really feel strongly about? What games do you think are worth $70? And you can't name Boulder's Gate and Elden Ring because I use those as my example. I don't think I've had any game that I truly believe is worth $70. Really? I think that I, I'm an advocate for the the employee making their money and getting a living wage and uh, work-life balance being a good thing. But I don't know if I have played a game that I truly believe was worth it $70. And remember, I played Breath of the Wild and then played Tears of the Kingdom. Tears of the Kingdom being $70. I, I, while it brought a lot to the game, to the franchise, I don't know if it was worth $70 or not. Okay. I would argue that uh, Baldur's Gate probably is the only game that probably came close to it. If not, yes. is it? Whether you Whether you like it, love it, or are lukewarm about it, it's undeniably like depth and quality. Mm -hmm. I think that hits a $70 mark. Um, I, so I think I would happily pay $70 for Monster Hunter Rise, but I think that's more of a personal. Well, he, so here's the thing. Monster Hunter Rise, when it came out, was 100% not a $70 game. It was barely a $60 game. By the time they had done one or two big content updates, and to me, added the content that should have been in at launch, then it was definitely a $60 game. Um, After all of the updates, all of the event quests, 
I think it was a seventy dollar game. It's 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 hard to say because then we had Sunbreak come out and Sunbreak was a massive expansion. Sunbreak, I'm pretty sure, was forty dollars at launch. Um, but Sunbreak had more content in it than Rise did. Even after all the updates, Sunbreak had more hunts and more content than Rise did. So maybe Sunbreak should have been the $70 game and Rise should have been the $40 game? I'm not sure. Um, but, I mean, that's a game that I love so much that I would pay more money for it. And I have in DLC skins and stuff. <laughs> Uh, before we, we end the episode, I'm just going to run through chat real quick. Uh, Bates Motel says hi. Fate Maker uh, jumped in and said hi. Uh, been ignoring him all this time. I, I was keeping an eye on chat, but uh, we also had uh, GZDR. Uh, I probably am going to butcher it, so I'll just leave it at that. Uh, first time in chat, welcome in. They actually brought up an interesting point that older games like Witcher 3 or Skyrim which are massive and continue to get DLC updates well after the game is released, are probably a game with so much love that was put into it could have been worth $70. Yes, I agree. A more a more recent example of that is No Man's Sky, because not only yep. did No Man's Sky come back and sort of redeem themselves, but now they've been recognized as like some of the best ongoing game that there is. And I think most people who own No Man's Sky probably got it 50% off on Steam. Or or uh, that game has that's the only major game that I see on sale for like 50-60% off consistently, like basically through its entire life cycle. GZDR also brings up that GTA 6 coming out is gonna set a new standard for how uh games are priced and how massive they are. Oh no. Uh, and also talked about how Starfield early access was $99. Well, that Fate. I kind of understand because it's like, oh, you're getting the the pre-order super deluxe early access version, which I also don't really agree with. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean it was it was you're paying for for access early. So And Fate Maker brings up Light No Fire is gonna be nuts. Yeah, I'm so excited about that. I will gladly pay 70 for that game. I think it's going to be more than that. Uh, what? Light Fate no Maker, fire? Fate Maker says $100 in the U.S. Uh, would be 130 Oh, he's just saying $100 in U.S. is 130 here. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Here. Yeah. Yeah, no, Light No Fire better not. I don't, I'm worried about GTA 6 thinking that they're they're hot shit and gonna be like ninety dollar game. Yeah, they're talking about ninety nine dollars or hundred dollars. I, I don't know. If you look at GTA five and where it still stands today and how much they've put into it and how much DLC and online multiplayer content they've added and how massive of a space that game is, I honestly with the direction and things are going, I can see that development cost may be needed to be higher than a standard price. Mm, sell me, sell me DLC. If you have a good quality game and you release good quality DLC, that's when I'll say I've played 200 hours of this game and I want new stuff. 
I'll pay for extra. Don't front load me and then and then I'm going to rely on your promise. Don't make no promises and developers and publishers in the video game industry. Mm -mm. You can keep that shit in your pocket. I don't want I don't want any promises. I want a good game and I'll pay extra for DLC. If, if the game I'm good. a huge fan of GTA 5 and GTA 4. Uh, if GTA 6 fulfills on all of its promises, doesn't come out bugged as shit when it releases, I I might say it may be worth that $80, $90 price tag. Well, I'm not going to have to worry about it because they already have made it clear that it's not launching on PC, so I don't care at all. I, I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, also, a minor point, $70 games should not have... They should not have microtransactions be a core component of their game. Uh, especially mm -mm. a game that's going to re release full price. Yes. If it's $70 and then you're selling cosmetics and then you're selling a battle pass, Diablo 4. Um, <laughs> even if your game is smooth as butter and you fulfill all your promises, Diablo 4, um, even if it's great, a $70 game should not have microtransactions or annual DLC uh, as as a core component of the game. You can have I mean, you can have some cosmetics here and there, but like you should not have any form of a battle pass if you charge $70 for your game. You should. That shouldn't be a Christopher thing. over on Facebook had made the comment about movie tickets doesn't don't go up. Just oh. because the budget of the movie is bigger. Yes. Uh, and I agree with that. And I wouldn't pay full price for a movie ticket that has been a half done movie either. You make a great point. Uh, I almost would argue that the size of the movie isn't what dictates the cost of seeing it in theaters, though. It's the theater that dictates that cost. Mm. Yeah. So with that being the thought, right? Follow me here. The developer takes so much longer and puts so much work at developing the game. It shouldn't be the the uh, distributors. Uh, the The game shouldn't go up because of that. It should be the the distributor who chooses that the game goes up. But in this industry, that's half backwards, right? Yeah. Yeah, so PlayStation is the theater, and they yeah. should dictate the price of... It's, it's different because it's like a software platform. Yeah. Like, it's it's more, I think, more than movies, even though it's easy to make that correlation because movies are more akin to games than, like, a supermarket. But, like, Walmart or or your local grocery store... The grocery store doesn't just set the price to whatever they want. The the brands do. The brands price their own product based on retail, you know, prices and their markup and their ingredients and their, you know, scarcity. No, I think I think the movie ticket is a good point because you think about it like that, but when yeah. you break it down, video games are more of a commodity whereas a movie theater ticket you're getting a ticket it's access to an experience and even though games are very similar because they're a form of media at the end of the day they're just still products 
unless they're digital, in which case they're more like an experience. <laughs> mm. Shower thoughts. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, thanks for hanging out with us, folks. We appreciate you. Um, Corporal, what we are, are trying this smaller, this smaller time frame content. So let us know what you think. If you want more, let us know. Or less. Yeah. Let us know. Um, what are you playing Sunday on stream? That's a good question. I really don't know. I'm torn. Did you get that info for Street Fighter Six? Uh, let's oh, see. Oh, uh, Ed. Right? Is that what he's referring to? It was Bates Motel. Uh, games for Street Fighter Six uh, in-game user code, uh, and then said. My name is Bates uh, Motel 6 uh, on the system. And did you get that info for Street Fighter 6? I'm not sure what Bates oh, is referring to. I think uh, she had tried to add me as a friend on Street Fighter 6 through the uh, Capcom, the CFM. Oh. Capcom. Uh, Bates, I will I will log in and add you. I haven't played Street Fighter in a minute. I've been, I've been down the Monster Hunter rabbit hole. It's the same uh, name as it shows up on Twitch. Okay, cool. Yeah, we'll have to play. I, I don't need much to get thrown back into the world of Street Fighter. And there's a new character coming out in February, Ed, which I am very much looking forward very to. Very much excited for, yeah. Um, all right. Well, Corporal, we'll see you with a mystery game on Sunday. I will be back next Tuesday with Monster Hunter something, I'm sure. Maybe Street Fighter with Bates, but probably Monster Hunter. I've been. She says I've been playing DBD a lot. Oh, Dead by Daylight. Yes. I have seen her stream that before. Um, all right, everybody. Take care of yourself. We'll see you in a couple days. Have a good night.